Hi, and welcome to the Mirror to Surf podcast. Today, we have a real special guest joining us on the phone, uh, Paul Mariner from England. So, hi, Paul. Hey, mate, how are you? Great, Hope you're well. Great, thank you. Yeah, you too. Well, just before we start, and before we start um, asking you a few questions and having a chat, I just want to let everyone know uh, about Paul's career. Obviously, Paul played right at the top level back home, uh, represented England uh, 35, 35 times, scoring 13 goals. Um, Paul also played, um, obviously, for Plymouth Argyle, um, Ipswich Town, um, Arsenal and Portsmouth. He's also had spells abroad, uh, Wollongong City, uh, Albany Capitals and San Francisco Bay. Um, and worked under, obviously, under some uh, amazing uh, managers and coaches on the way. Um, he's also managed um, Plymouth Argyle and Toronto FC and had assistant spells at the Revolution and uh, Harvard Crimson. So we're really delighted, Paul, to have you on the show today and have your experience. Thank you. No, thanks, Matt. No, I'm I'm pleased. I'm pleased to be talking to you. It's going uh, to be a good bit of fun. That'll be great. Yeah, it'll be great. Obviously, our, our, some of our parents and our players will be listening to this and uh, getting the recording of this. So it's um, it's great for them to hear your experiences and your your advice on the way. Um, just to start us off, Paul, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about your career, uh, so people know yeah. what what we've done, and then uh, we'll get onto the current the current day. Um, so obviously you became a professional player with Plymouth Argyle, where you scored 61 goals in 155 appearances, Paul. Uh, you were considered, or you're still considered, to be one of the best ever club's players at Plymouth Argyle. Uh, can you tell us about how you ended up in Plymouth after living in the northwest of the country? Yeah, uh, well, the, the, the tier system over in England is, is such that there's, I mean, nowadays there's a Premier League uh, the championship Div One, Div Two. In the old days, it was four division, and then you went into um, sort of semi-professional football, yeah. Um, which is, which was called the, the Northern Premier League. Which was a, a, there was the Southern Premier League, which was probably from Birmingham South, and then the Northern Premier League was, uh, you know, Yorkshire, uh, Lancashire teams. Uh, you know, teams teams that are um, you know players who are up up and coming and players who have not. Didn't quite make it into the big leagues. Yeah, uh, it was a very tough league. Um, I, you know, a bit of a bit of a tale actually. At sixteen, I, I, I packed the game in because uh, everybody said I was too small. I was very technical. Yeah, I was a good player, but I was too small. Yeah. So I went. I went and played a, a sport over in England called cricket, which yeah. is, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a great sport. I was offered to be a pro at uh, Lancashire, but I turned it down, and then I got back into the game. When I was 17, started to progress really well. Uh, all the big teams were looking at, at me, United, City, Liverpool, Everton. Uh, but I broke my leg, so that was a bit of a setback. I came back at 19, um, started to do well. I actually changed my position. I was a midfield player. Then I got the, the coach that uh, was at the club. He said, um, I think you can you know, play up front. So I went as a striker and couldn't, basically couldn't stop scoring goals. And then... Um, and I signed, I signed for Plymouth Argyle, which is 365 miles away yeah. from uh, my hometown, Bolton, in Lancashire. It doesn't seem too far away when you talk about, you know, mileage in American terms, but in England, that's a long, long way away. It is. Um, and uh, anyway, I got the opportunity. It's like anything in life. Someone sees, someone sees something in you. Someone gives you, wants you to give you an opportunity. I grasp that opportunity with both hands and um, or both feet, so to speak. And then uh, away we went. 
That's brilliant. Uh, thanks, thanks, Paul. I mean, um, the big obviously after you, you you played at Plymouth and had your spell there, you joined Ipswich Town, which is obviously at the time one a real a huge club in England. Uh, you won yep. league titles, had European success, played in UEFA Cup. I mean, under the guidance of Sir Bobby Robson, who is yes. who I haven't actually never met, but one of my favourite uh, managers. And I you know look back what he did in, in the you know for, for football back home and obviously yeah, yes. managed the England team. What was he like, Paul? What was he like at Ipswich Town? What was it like for you? What was it like working for Sir Bobby at the time? Um, it was uh, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, what, what I did, I was I was surrounded by some very good uh, senior professionals at Plymouth Argyle who advised me very, very well. Um, Tony Waiters, who's a renowned coach, was the manager. He's a renowned coach in, in America. Yeah. Lived in lives in Vancouver, and, and he was he advised me well. I also did my own research. I I could see that um, Ipswich were top of the football combination in the old days. The, the reserve teams of of, uh, of, of of first division teams played in two leagues, either the Central League or the football combination. Yeah. And Ipswich were reserves were top of the football combination. They just won the FA Youth Cup, which is an under-18 tournament. They just won that twice on the on the trot. So I knew that the uh, the, the nucleus of the side was very good, um, and the the players that were coming through were were excellent players. So I knew there was longevity uh, in signing for Ipswich Town. Um, Bobby Robson impressed me, uh, in, you know, from the from the get go. I was also impressed also by West Ham United's. Uh, Manager Ron Greenwood, who actually worked under for for England in the, in the future. Yeah, they were both two two fantastic uh, men, uh, but I just felt that Ipswich at the time had a, a better chance of, of doing things, either winning trophies, um, you know, as you say, you know, having success in Europe. So um, it it actually came to fruition. It was uh, you know not easy getting going because the uh, you know moving from. What what was then Plymouth Argyle second division side into the big leagues because Ipswich I think were was second in the league, in the table when I went there to Liverpool, yeah. so um, we're, we're in we're in a very very good company. So it was something that I rose to the challenge and uh, and so Bob, he said he said a very interesting thing to me over over dinner when when he was trying to get me to sign. He said um, he called me Nipper. His nickname for me was Nipper. He said Nipper. He said um, what sort of a player do you want to be? So obviously, I'm not going to say I want to be a terrible player. So I said, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a top player. <laughs> and he says, well, let me tell you something. He said, if you want to be a top player, you've got to have, if you run out six games, you see, you've got to have four good games, one very good game, and one incredible game. There's no room in this team. There's no room in this league for mediocrity. If you think you can just come in and, and you know, be a top player in this league and just uh, go through the motions, you're sadly mistaken. I said, I'm up for the challenge. Um, and so, so then I signed and, uh, you know, pl- probably had the best, best years of me, uh, my footballing career at Ipswich Town, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's great. I mean, thanks for sharing that with us. It's great to hear things like that, um, especially for ourselves and for, you know, for the players listening. And we've got things like what Bobby Robson has said to you. What, what kind of made them different to you, Paul? People like Sir Bobby Robson and like you mentioned, Ron Greenwood as, a, as managers. What made yeah. what, what made them like a cut above others, in your opinion? It was um, not only the 
the football side, but also the off the field side. Yeah, they they were in all top managers, even Sir Alex Ferguson at uh, Manchester United. Um, he takes incredible. They all take incredible interest in their players, their players' welfare, their wives, their girlfriends, their children. They know about their parents and all about their grandparents. They know. Um, Everything about so it's sort of a you know, I mean the thing about football, and as you you said, you know we'll talk hopefully talk about Steve Nichol later when I was at um, the Revolution. It's all about that family. It's all about that togetherness. It's all about that team spirit. It's all about we respect each other as players, but you know on and off the field we we always want to help each other, and that's exactly what what Sir Bobby did. Um, I'll give you for instance. as I said, I come from a place called Bolton, um, and Bolton is surrounded by probably forty professional teams. Yes, yeah. Uh, Bolton Wanderers is my is my team. I'll, I've always supported Bolton Wanderers. People people say, "Well, how far is Manchester Manchester away?" So it's about eleven miles. He said, "Well, why do you not support United or City?" <laughs> I said, "I wouldn't cross the street to watch United or City. <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, because." It's part of the culture in England. You support your team. Bolton Wanderers is my team. It doesn't matter whether Manchester United are winning um, European Cups with George Best or Bobby Charlton when Mm. I was a little boy. Yeah, Uh, didn't interest me. I was I was I was pleased for them because they're English and they were from Lancashire. But my team is Bolton. Um, So so Bobby would know when we went to United, City, Everton, Liverpool. All the other teams, he would say, um, "Hey Nipper, is uh, is uh, mum and dad coming to the game?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He said, "Okay, I, I've got some tickets for them." Because normally you had to beg, steal, and borrow to try and get tickets for games because they were always sold out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so j- just imagine this: you, you're playing at Anfield or you're playing at Manchester at Old Trafford, <laughs> and as you run out, you always have a look uh, where your family is because n- normally you know where the, the team's tickets are. But what he would do, he would always give me a director's box tickets. So, he, so the, my mother and father would be sat with the chairman of Manchester United, the chairman of Liverpool, right in the director's box. And anybody, any of the kids out there who've got English parents, they know exactly what the director's box You've got to be uh, sort of golden to get into the director's box at Manchester United or Anfield. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. so you can just imagine <laughs> what, what, how I felt because he gave me those tickets. Can you imagine how I wanted to play for him? I wanted to yeah. play for my mother and father. So I'd be, you know, ripping every sinew out of my body to try and either A score or make sure the team would win and pay my part and do the job. So yeah. um, it was the way that he handled his his players. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, most of his players, all his players were internationals, whether it was Scotland, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and, and latterly, with our 81 side, it was with the Dutch boys, with Muren and Tyson. Um, so he had a tremendous way with them about getting the best out of a player, recognising the player's strengths, recognising the player's weaknesses, making the player work on, 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 the, on the weakness, you know, staying back, doing extra work. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just wanting you to be as good as you could possibly be because he sees... You know, ability in you, and you know, mental strength and, and physical attributes, and also technical ability. That's great. No, thank. I appreciate you sharing that with us. It's um, 
interesting to know how you know and i've heard things before like you just mentioned about uh sir bobby things that sir alex did, did and did at man united and you yeah. know like you just mentioned not just on the field things but off the field things that made the difference you know um just I'll, I'll give you i'll give you another story about sir alex sir alex my roommate at ipswich was a guy called john walk yes. um Johnny Watt was a was a holding midfield player, but in '81 he broke the European record for for goal scoring. He scored 32 goals, I think it was, from from the holding midfield position. Wow! Yeah, I mean that 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 nowadays is absolutely unheard of. But uh, the way that the the boss set the side up, uh, he he could get forward. It was a different way of playing that we that we did. Very similar to the way that Guardiola played when when he was. Everybody thought it was revolutionary when he was pu- pushing his his full backs into yes. midfield. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, do yeah. Um, but um, I remember because because Johnny was my roommate, we were, we were stuck like glue to each other. And I remember at a, we were at a function once, and Sir Alex was there. Sir Alex came up to to John because John's from Drumchapel, yes. and Sir Alex is from from the same place. And Sir Alex said, "Oh, how's?" How's your mum? How's your dad? How's your sister? How's how's her uh, post postman? Uh, you know, husband doing? He knew everything about Johnny's family. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it sort of it took me aback actually because I thought, well, not only is he interested in in his players, but he's also interested in obviously Scottish players. And Johnny was an unbelievable Scottish uh, footballer. But I thought. Wow, he's got a lot, he's got a lot of time to to think, you know, deeply about uh, players that he, he might be interested in uh, in some some time. Yeah, this is great. I mean, you went on uh, Paul to represent obviously England, represent your country. Um, obviously, you do, yeah. you, um, that was a junior time at Ipswich, am I right? And uh, yeah, you went yep. you went on playing the Euros and the 1982 World Cup. What, yep. what was your experience like playing um, playing for England, and what's the most? Can you remember your most memorable game? I know your first game you played was at Wembley when obviously that you won five nil. I think that was yes. in, was that against Luxembourg. Would that be up there, or is there anything else that? No, well, obviously being being uh, you know asked to come into the squad number one that was exciting. Then yeah. a, a brief brief little story. I know we haven't got much time. But, um, I just got a hat trick. Prior to the to the camp uh, against West Ham United, ironically enough, and I was playing uh, supposedly behind closed doors in training, but the press were watching the games, and I was I couldn't I couldn't stop scoring that week. So there's a lot of hype around me, but uh, they had a guy, a guys called Mick Sharon and Kevin Keegan up front who were you know legends for England also. Yeah. So at half time when the boys went in for. The cups of tea and stuff. The um, the assistant, um, Mr. Cocker, said to me, "Come on, let's have a knock around on the field." So we're having a knock around, crossing balls, and heading balls in the back of the net. There's a hundred thousand in the stadium at Wembley, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. And um, anyway, the, I can see the boys are coming out, so I walk over to the to the uh, sideline, sit down, and um, Mr. Cocker came up to me. He said, "He said, what are you doing?" I said, I'm, I said, I'm getting ready to watch the lads. Second half, he said, you're going on. Get your gear on, you're going on. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, my, my legs <laughs> turned into jelly and I can't tell you one thing about what happened in that 45 minutes. But I know that we won. Yeah. Um, but it was when, when, because of the culture, because of what it means to, you know, I, I came from absolutely nothing. You know, we, mo- most of the footballers in, in our day came from absolutely nothing. 
Yeah. Um, and when you actually put that England shirt on and go out on the field at Wembley and know that your mother and father are watching on the television at home, it's pretty special. So, um, so yeah, I mean, whenever you play for England, it's incredible. Uh, a lot of pressure, but um, yeah, incredible times. You know, the, the 1980 uh, the Euros in, in Italy was, was a difficult tournament for us. Yeah. Um, but 82 was a great tournament. I mean, we were undefeated. That, you know, we, we went to the second phase, got undefeated at the Bernabeu. Uh, but they had to change the rules after that because, uh, because we didn't go to penalties in the old days. It was just uh, unfortunate that I think Germany beat Spain one 0 and we we drew against Spain and we drew against Germany at uh, at the Bernabeu. We just couldn't score. Right. Okay. That's that's great. Thanks, Paul. I mean. Um... I've got a question from uh, one of our players asked me a question to ask you the day, and um, I, I, it's it's a, it's a difficult one really because it could there's lots of things I, I bet you miss. But uh, what was the best thing about being a professional footballer, and what do you miss the most? Well, the best thing um, about about being a pro is is doing what you absolutely adore and will do it for free, but people pay you, in, in modern terms, vast amounts of money. So you're a very, very fortunate person. But you have talents and people want to pay for those talents. Um, the talent does, doesn't just come along um, you know, and stay with you. You've got to work on your talent. That's what you've got to do. You, you're given... You come into this world and you've got God-given talents. If you don't want to work on it, if you've not got the right mental aptitude, if you've not got the technical ability, then you're not going to get to those those heights. So um, there's a lot of hard work goes into eventually turning professional at around about you know 15, 16 years of age. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose the, there's so many highlights. I mean, my debut for Plymouth Argyle was a highlight the, the, you know getting transferred to Ipswich was a highlight getting transferred to Arsenal was a highlight my first game for England scoring in the World Cup um, there's so many highlights there's, there's so many wonderful things that are, are attached to not only just the playing in front of you know I played at Hampden Park in front of 125,000 uh, England-Scotland games the oldest international game in the world but it's the camaraderie it's the friends that you that you make, I mean, 40, 50 years ago, I've got friends that I'm, I'm still in contact with, yeah. you know, not regularly, but as soon as, you know, when we, when we uh, WhatsApp or whether we, you know, call each other, it's, it's always as though we've never, never been apart. So it's, it's a fantastic network that you create as a professional footballer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we backed up with tremendous, um, a group of people, the League Managers Association is amazing, the Professional Footballers Association are amazing, and all our, all our friends literally throughout the world that we get to know, um, purely simply because of this game. And uh, I'm just happy that I, I managed to play, you know, best part of 17 years as a professional, and uh, really came out of it up to now, touch wood, unscathed, you know, we're not too many injuries. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I just think, listen to what you're mentioning, you know, being a young footballer back in England and getting signed as a professional, you know, as 15, 16 year olds. And, you know, it's, um, and I think in this modern day, um, you know, I, I hear that the that it's even more so. I think um, I, I read from the FA that, you know, the average Premier League player, young player now, is 21 before he 
yeah. kind of breaks into a team. Obviously, you mentioned mm. when you was younger, being told that you're too small, and I yes. think that's happened to a lot. I think we, I think, in my opinion, in England, we're getting better now, and we're more patient with players, and we're thinking, do you know what? They're obviously going to grow eventually, uh, but they've got some talent, so we've got to be patient, and we're going to see where these kids go. Exactly, and and everybody develops differently. You know, and so, sometimes you can get a young man or young lady who's fourteen years of age, and they're you know fully developed. You know, six yeah. foot tall, six foot three, whatever, a little bit bigger nowadays than, than my day. But yeah, um, you know, for any little little young uh, boys and girls out there who. who People keep saying, "Oh, you, but you've got great technical ability, but you're you're not small," and stay with it. At, at mm. 16 years of age, I was five foot three, and at 16 years and five months, I was six foot tall. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, people develop uh, at a different rate. That's um, right. You know, and, and which is the best? Do you want to develop early? Or do you want to develop late? It, it it doesn't matter as long as you reach your end goal, and so long as you keep. As I keep saying, you know, the, the stuff in between your ears, the mental capacity, the mental strength, that you you have a goal in your head and you want to play for the USA or you want to play for whether mum and dad are from England or they're from Mexico, Brazil, wherever they want to play. If you say, I want to play for that team, you keep focused and you keep working hard yeah. at, your, at the technical side. Keep working on the technical side as you're a young player and work on your weaknesses. Be honest enough with yourself. Let your coaches be honest with you. And work on your uh, things that you're not so great at, and then you then you become you know the, the the real deal and the full package. And it's interesting we've mentioned before, or well, we've mentioned before, maybe at Surf, and I know you've just touched on it there, like the mental resilience of you know of knockbacks or people telling you things. Listen, you need to be a bit bigger, a bit stronger, and you're not quite. Yep. You know, and that's a big part of it as well because it can be often where kids will probably think, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not scoring goals at the minute. I've had a couple of a season now of, I'm getting knocked around." But you know, like you just said, it it, it takes time and um, people develop at different times, so it's important. Uh, exactly, and and Matt, the the <clears throat> here's the thing, I, I I firmly believe in this that if if it's something that you really passionately want to do. It's already in your DNA that that it will happen if you want to make it happen. Now, does it take a lot of hard work? Does it work every time? No. Do you get knockbacks? Yes. But do you bounce back? And how do you bounce back? How strong do you come back? You mm. come back stronger because you want to pr- prove people wrong and prove yourself right because... Um, you know, a lot of people, especially with social media nowadays, especially with the way that you know some some people speak to each other, um, yeah. there's a lot of. It's very easy to knock people down. Yeah. One of the greatest things. That's why I love being a, a coach and I love being a captain of of my team. Was picking people up. Was was saying to people, you you can do this. This is something that is in your uh, capacity. Is in your capability. Yeah. And um, and it, it will come out, you know. If you want, if you want to be genius at, at computers, if you want to be, you know, a, a bricklayer, whatever you want to do, if that's what you want to do, and you enjoy, you can't wait to wake up in the morning and go and do that. That's exactly what you should do. Yeah, and that's 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 great. I mean, especially and we spoke about just before we started about the um, the current climate and a lot of a lot of kids. Obviously, everyone's in at the moment and. Uh, and um, I, like I've had a couple of um, meetings on online with my, my my 
my uh, my teams and there was mentioned to me how difficult they're finding working doing all their skills and technical stuff uh, you know um with in the current climate obviously the fields are closed they can't yeah. do any drills and shooting and things yeah what would you advise for these kids you know to keep them mentally focused what they should what should they be working on at home well Look, there's there's nothing better than five aside, six aside, seven aside, eleven v. There's nothing better. I mean, three v three, four v four. I mean, it, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, meet, meeting your mates. I know it's difficult now with so, with social distancing, but you know, when you meet your mates, and it's a one v one, or another mate will turn up, and then then you develop it into a two v one. It's it's just a it's a competition of you know trying to get one over on your mates and having a laugh and a joke doing it, but. I think this could be a golden era because we've got to be creative. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you're fortunate enough, I know I know that everybody's not lucky enough to have a, a garden or have a little bit of um, little bit of space in the garden. Um, but you need to be in love with the football. You need to be the master of that ball. If you can work on your ball mastery. You know, if you think you know what my left foot's not really as good as I, as as my right foot, or you know I I need to be a little bit better with my short range passing. This is the most golden time to work on it. There's a I worked with a with a, a very good friend of mine. I've known Tom, Tom Byer over thirty years. Uh, he he's wrote a book um, called Football Starts at Home, and it's only about it's only like five or seven bucks or something. You, you can get it on Amazon. And what it is, is basically that, because it is all about the culture and it's all about, you know, mums and dads, particularly in the States, getting involved with their children to A, learn about the game themselves and B, show them that just be the master of the ball, just dribble the ball around the kitchen, just dribble the ball from the kitchen to the to the dining room or the front room without touching the walls. Yeah. Make sure you do it with your right foot, just do it with your left foot. Do all sorts of dip, just be creative in your own mind and be the master of that ball. Because if you look at the greatest players in the world at the moment, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, uh, Mbappe, um, if you look at how they play the game, the reason they are so good is that they see the game two, three, four passes ahead of everybody else. Why do they do that? Because their first touch. Is incredible. When you, if you zing the ball into Messi, his first touch is so good. If you close him down quickly, he'll just go by you. Yeah. Because his first touch, he knows his, where, he, where he's going to control it. He knows his touch is so good that he can just get his head up and he's seeing things before anybody else is seeing it. If you don't close him down, he can outpass you. So it's a no-win. So the key to the, the games of the greatest players in the world is that the ball man, they are masters of that ball. And if you've got a great first touch with your left and your right, and you can, you, you've got some sort of game intelligence, you'll go a long, long way in the game. Yeah, I mean that's that's great advice, Paul. As you're talking there, you know it takes me back. I mean, I I played as a pro for 15 years. I'm not the, obviously the level you did and played the country or anything, but you know I tell my players that I coach now that. Yes, I, I, I listened in training and I did what the coach said and I, I learned a lot when I was, I, I was training. But a lot of the stuff I've, I, I got better was when I got home, I had a next door neighbour that lived next to me that was a similar age and we used to go in the back garden every single night. And I tell you what, yep. my mum had to drag us in 
at 10 o'clock when it used to get dark in the summer we used to my mum used to say you need to get and she used to have to pull us in and uh, get us in and i think i look back now and i think you know they, they were the times really that, that did a yes. great deal of uh, um, good, good for me and i'm sure you've got stories of yourself as well that, that story that story that you've just uh, mentioned there is the same for millions of uh, of young boys and girls in uh, in england maybe not quite as many girls just yet but the the, the girl the ladies game the, the women's game is really growing in, in england now it's not as big as uh, the usa yeah but um, no, that that's a story that uh, resonates with with so many people. Um, yeah. You know, there was nothing better after school than going down the going down the field, and you know, all your mates would know that you'd go down there, so you, you'd start one v one, you know, kicking in three goals, and then and then, as, as we said earlier, you, you you just create games yourself, two v one, three v two, and um, yeah. and that's how you develop. Because there's a few things that I, I notice when I. I came to the USA. Um, I've been watching the college game, and let's say that you're playing against me, Martin. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're giving me a roast, and you're playing right inside midfield, and I'm playing left back, and, and you're going by me, and I'm closing you down, and you're playing one twos around me, or I'm staying off you, and you're picking passes off. Yeah. Or yeah. rather than me have to work that out for myself, yeah. because of the the substitution system. In, in college football, in college soccer, yeah, they take the player off. Yeah. Now, now to me, it's best if you give some advice to the player, and then see if the player can take it on board and t- and try and work it out for him or herself. Uh, you know, when you're in adversity, then you find out whether you can do stuff. You know, it's, it's a little. Bit, I was always surprised by that, but you know, when I went, as you said earlier, when I went working uh, with um, John Kerr, who's the, who's the head coach at Duke now, um, I was with him at, at Harvard, and um, I just I said to John, I said, why, why do you do that? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me because because do you learn that if you don't if you can't work it out for yourself, you know, you can tell the players after the game or show them on video, yeah. you know what's going on, but um, let, let them try and work it out. Give them some tips as the game's going on. I think it's, I think for me, when you're saying that, Paul, it's, it's a big. That's a big thing about development versus winning, because before yeah. I, before I left yeah. England and worked with some things with the FA and some courses I did, I think hey, that's a, a big example that they gave. Uh, that you know, the example they gave was you've got a player getting beat down the flanks, and um, you, you've got your fullback getting beat, and um, he's like you said, roasting him at half time. What do you say to your fullback? Do you take yep. him? Do you take him off? Do you? Sh- yep. He said, as an FA, an English FA, we would like you as academy coaches to go to that player and say, how can you make it harder for that player to beat your second half? What could yeah, you do exactly. to make... He said, let them work it out for themselves because that's how kids, yeah. de- that's how kids develop. Yeah. But unfortunately, exactly. you know, winning sometimes takes over that and the, the, the coach sometimes thinks, get him off. And he's, he's going to cost us, <laughs> get, get him off. And yeah, it's... Um... I don't think this would be a bit use here, but... Um... When I when I first came uh, as a coach in '93, I came in '93, uh, and then then eventually came in '96, and I set up my own, um, you know, club in in Arizona, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yes. Um, and I I did the same old thing. I, w- I would speak to the players. I would speak to the parents and tell them, you know, my methods and this is what we do and, and blah blah blah. We we played, and this is very poignant. We played a, a, a team 
I won't tell you what the team was called, but we played a team, and what they did, they had, they had, I call them F-16s. They had these incredible athletes that they just pump the ball over the top, yeah. they run onto it and smash it in the back of the net. Yeah. So we, we, we lost 6-0 uh, yeah. on that game. <clears throat> and it, was, it looked like a bit of a lost cause, but I pulled all the kids in, and I pulled the parents in as well, and as a group, I said, my, my words, if you listen to what I'm going to say, if you work the way that I want you to work, I said, in, in the, um, the State Cup, which is a big thing for, for the, yeah. you know, those, those teams, uh, I said, we'll beat them 6-0 in the final. Anyway, we'll beat, we'll beat them 6-0 in the final. So, uh, yeah, purely and simply because it's not all about brute strength. It's not all about, you know, that long one long ball. There is more more ways to, to get the get a victory than, um, you know, long ball game. There's nothing wrong with a long ball game, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, I, I could see that we had enough spirit in our group, we had enough technical players, we had enough players that wanted to listen and learn and become better players. Um, and, uh, and they did. And then subsequently, uh, we came over to Holland. So I thought, let's really test these boys. So we go to Holland to play in one of the, the best under-17 tournaments. Yes. This was just prior to the boys going to university. Yeah. Um, and we beat Holland at their own game. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it can be done. It takes yeah. a lot of hard work, but it can be done. Yes, yeah, fantastic. I mean, you've, put, you've mentioned uh, attributes of players, but... What would you look for, uh, Paul, when you're looking to recruit a young player if, uh, as a coach? What attributes and qualities would you look for? And what advice would you give to our players, young players at Marietta Surf, that have aspirations to play at the highest level? What kind of advice would you give them? Well, <clears throat> what it is, if you're, looking, if you're looking at a player to recruit, it depends on what levels. Let, let, let's just uh, take it down to the basic level. It's, it's all about appetite for the game. Yeah. I I um I've got another story which may it's, it may uh, resonate with all the uh, this is a, about a player who had an incredible career in Major League Soccer a guy called Chris Tierney he's just retired now he's uh, one of the chief scouts at New England Revolution yes he he was playing for me in a tournament in uh, Disney um, I can't remember what the tournament was called quite a prestigious tournament all the big teams were down there. And I'd, I'd watched Chris, he's got a fantastic left foot, and his knowledge of the game was decent. Um, and at half-time, I, I brought the, the, the team in, and he was, he was doing absolutely nothing for us, absolutely worst of time. So I thought, right, it's time for him to get it, because I knew, I'd seen him in training, yeah. I saw what sort of an athlete he was, I saw what sort of a left foot that he had, I saw the, the the knowledge, the inbuilt knowledge that he had in the game, and I just went for him. I said, "Look, I said, I said, what you're doing out there, I said, you're a disgrace to me. You're a disgrace to your mother and father, who's playing very, very good money for me to coach you and for you to fly all the way down from Boston down to um, to, to Orlando." I said, "You let your team down." I said, if you don't want to play for this team, if you don't want to play at the level that I'm asking you to play, that I know you can play, then I want you to just pack your bags and leave. I don't want to see you again. <laughs> so second half, come out, second half, 
we win the game. Why do we win the game? He puts an unbelievable ball to the far post. We we we, we win the game. Yeah. And he had. I'm going to say he finished college at Virginia. Had a very good good career at Virginia. Uh, and from 22 to what did you know? 35. He he played in MLS, and 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 was probably one of the best crosses of a football that MLS has, has ever seen. And that includes Beckham. Yeah. Um, his left foot was was a joy to, to behold, and yeah. uh, you know it, it, he says it now and again. He said that was a you know the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And, and sometimes you need to be a little bit ruthless yes. to get the best out of uh, you know to press that button on young players. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you mentioned uh, Paul then obviously a bit about being at New England Revolution and the MLS. Um, yeah. I've got. I wanted to ask you a question of like, what's is it? Was it an easy transition for you from being a player to a coach? Obviously, you've worked with like you've mentioned in in, in Arizona with the youth side. Now you've worked in the MLS. Yes. Um, yes. Was it? What was your experiences like working as a coach than a player? Well, I was. I was fortunate. I went in uh, as an assistant coach with a, a a guy that we both know, a guy called Steve Nickel. Yes. Um, Stevie's methods were all from, um, you know, the Liverpool, it was a football factory. I mean, they, they couldn't stop winning the title. They couldn't stop winning European Cups. So that that camaraderie, that team spirit, that methodology that they 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 put together, yeah. uh, that that sort of group, group mentality were, you know, if you're having a bad game, I'll I'll pick my game up, and you know we can all do it. It was all we're all in in this together. And what wh- whatever we do, we either live or we die by it. Um, and Stevie was a fantastic coach. I learned so much from him. Um, but I was mainly in charge of of the technical side. We always used to spend at least. Uh, 20, 30 minutes every morning on the technical side. A lot of passing, yeah. Uh, a lot of individual uh, skills, maybe in twos or fours, or, or, or also individual stuff with the ball. Um, and then we're going to the, you know, the, the, the stuff that we've spoken about, whether it's working on the bike for, or you know, on patterns of play, or you know, moving the ball from defence up to the attack, all that sort of stuff. So. Um, it was interesting. I mean, I don't know if the kids know a guy called Taylor Twelman. Yes. Uh, mm. I'm guessing that they do. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, Taylor won't mind me telling you the story, but um, when I came to the club, um, I, I just observed the, the team because it was pre-season. There wasn't really that much for me to do, uh, you know, apart from encourage the players to run harder in pre-season. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, Stevie and I, we went went golfing and we sat down after our round of golf and he said, right, you've seen the squad for a, for a, a you know, month, six weeks. What do you think? Mm. I said, well, the first thing you do is you get rid of that, that 12. And I said, he's useless. Because it, 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 Taylor was a, num- he was a number nine, right? Yes. He was the, you know, played the same position as me. I said, I said, he can't do anything. I said, he can't hold it up. I said, he can't run the channels. He's got no pace. I said, he can't head it. He can't jump. He's not quick. He said, well, I've got some bad news for you. I said, what's that? He said, well, he's our franchise player. And I've never heard of that term before. I said, franchise player? Yeah. I said, what, what does that mean? He said, he's the team. He's the guy that we're building the team around. I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, he said, that's your, that, that's your remit. That's your job. You're going to turn him into a player. So um, with, with Taylor, 
uh, I, I didn't speak to him for a few weeks. Um, and then I pulled him into my office and I asked him what sort of a player, very similar to the Bobby Robson story, what player, type of player do you want to be? Yeah. yeah. He said, I want to score goals. I said, okay, here's what you do to score goals. Um, so I, I, I told him everything yeah. that he needed to do. Yeah. Um, because we had the, the, a team of players around it that could supply him. Yeah. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, Taylor became the first player to score 100, got the quickest to score 100 goals in Major League Soccer. Wow, well, yeah. So, uh, and, and he calls me his second dad. We have a fantastic rapport. Uh, you know, we, we, we text each other all the time. He's doing a great job at ESPN now. Yeah. So, um, you know, That's... what you've got to do when you move from the playing ranks into the coaching ranks, you've not got to be a yes man. You've got to voice your opinion. Yeah. And, and you've got to be able to take stick over it because your opinion might be horrible or it may be taken on board by the by the coach Stevie and I when we were working the kids when we were game management game management is totally different to normal um, coaching uh, you know in the in the training days yeah. a, a lot of people excel at game management some people do not excel at game management you can't see the wood for the trees Stevie and I were constantly in conversation about what what's what's going wrong? What we need to do? We need to adjust this. We need to move this. We need to, and he would say yes, no, 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 yeah. You know, it, yeah, yeah. It was it was a fluid conversation that we would have, um, and he got to four finals. I got to three finals with him. Yeah. With that, we're so good at coaching that we managed to lose all of them. So uh, to take from <laughs> that what you will. <laughs> Um, you mentioned obviously eight minutes working with uh, Twelman and uh, yourself obviously being a striker as well, Paul. Um, for our strikers and centre forwards at the club, did you practice like finishing every day? Did you do certain yes. drills? Is it natural? Ta- is it natural talent? Or what advice would you give to our hey, want to be goal scorers, attacking players at the club? What 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 advice would you give them? Um, in, in this modern day, um, it, it's. It's difficult for, for straight-up number nines. In the old days, you, we used to play four-four-two, yeah. or we used to play four-three-one-two. Yes. So we, we would we would generally always have two strikers. Yeah. Now, in the modern game, you're asking because they're afraid of score, uh, conceding goals. You're asking a midfield player to get into the box. Now, yeah. the golden run for me is the near-post run. Yeah. Because if you can just in your mind's eye think about if, if I make that near post run, then what has the goalkeeper got to do? The goalkeeper has got to come to his near post or yeah. her near post. Yeah. And and uh, it doesn't matter what the service is. If the if the service from the right or left is told to get it in early, and, and I make that near post run, yeah. I'm going to drag play, drag defenders with me. I drag the goalkeeper with me also. Yeah. If I get a flick, if I get a, if I miss it, uh, then somebody who's on that back stick and normally it was my, the other centre forward uh, that I used to play with, yeah. they would get a simple tap in or they just get a, more or less a free header on the far post. Yeah. So um, th- there's so many aspects to centre forward play. Uh, I think the 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 key in build up is you know if your defence is under pressure, you've got to be available for the outball. You've got to make yourself. You've got to read the game. You've always got to be available for the outball. In 
Yeah. If the opposition have the ball and you get it, Matt, you've got to look up because you're obviously pressurised because they're probably going to have at least nine, nine, eight, nine players in your attacking third. Yeah. So you've got to be that out ball. You've got to be aware of what I need to be for you for that passing there, whether it's on the ground or whether it's a little dink over, yeah. over the top. Yeah. Then I've got to hold the ball up. Then I've got to be strong. I've got to hold the ball up, wait for the support to come to me. And when the support comes to me, make sure I lay it off to the right pace of uh, pass, the right to the right foot, and then then we're off and running. If those elements break down, then we're always going to be under pressure. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously the modern, you know, these are a lot of uh, teams, especially at our club as well uh, over here. We play with one striker. Uh, we play with the number yep. nine. We do also, you know, at the club, I know um, as coaches, we do try and mix it up so the kids get the education of what to do yes. in, a, in, in, a, in yep. a two as well. So I, I personally like yep. playing with two strikers. Yep. A couple of my teams play with a, a, like a four diamond two um, with two strikers. Yep. So it's giving that, like you say, it's giving that kid the education of playing as a one, playing as a striker, a lone striker. Yep. And it's a, obviously I, I, completely different I, I role. Think, I, th- I think if you play... I mean, so, some whatever system you play, but let's say it's a, it's a four-five-one or, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. That the the number nine or the the, the designated centre forward has got to be able to hold that ball up, and you've also got to have somebody. His his or her remit is as soon as we as soon as we win that ball, we hit. Let's say it's you as the nine. As soon as we hit Matt, you have got to get up to him as yeah. fast as you possibly can. That's yeah. your remit because he's got to have an option. Yeah. Other, otherwise, what the centre forward's got to do, he's got to hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, and maybe draw a foul. Yeah. Or sometimes I don't know what the referee is like, or maybe not. Yeah. Because if, if, if you don't get that initial break pressure, um, then you're not, you know, you're not going to build, yes. if you, and if you're not going to build, you're going to be under the gun all the time. Yeah. So, so and, and it becomes so weary. The the game becomes uh, for for young players. You go, oh my god, this is not much fun. Yeah. But in actual fact, it is a lot of fun because yeah. you're learning so much from being under pressure all the time. Yeah. But ideally, an ideal situation: hold the ball up, get some early uh, support. support to you. What, yeah. what you know, what, at least one option, hopefully two options, and then you're off in the races. Yeah, brilliant. I know we run out of time, Paul, uh, but uh, one of the players wanted me to ask you this question before you go. Um, obviously, you've had a su- really successful pl- uh, playing career. Can you narrow down something that sticks out that's been most memorable for you? And also, they wanted to ask you, who has been your toughest uh, ever opponent and why? OK, let me answer the second part first. Yes. Uh, Hans-Peter Briegel from Germany. Yes, um, I've got his, I've actually got his shirt. Uh, <laughs> it sounds a bit strange. I've got it in my bedroom because I was going through my shirts that, that we exchanged the other, the other day, and it's still it's still on the floor in my bedroom. Yes. So Hans Peter Briegel. Hans Peter Briegel was probably about uh, six four, six five. He was a pentathlete before he started playing football. Yeah. yeah. Played in Italy. Played in Germany. Um, Anything I did to him, I couldn't. I couldn't disrupt him. Yeah. He was uh, incredible footballer. Yeah. Uh, what, what was the first question? <laughs> uh, sorry, um, can you know something, something that sticks out? Has been your. It's, it's a difficult one, but uh, what's oh, been yeah. your most no, no. most memorable? No, I, I've got this, and um, and this goes back. This is a, a tremendous message to young players. Um, when when you do 
reach the 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 pit, whether it you know your club and you think you're cruising and you go to university, you go to Duke or you go to Stanford or UCLA or wherever you go, and you're you think you're the king or you're the queen of the of the crop. That's when you work harder because I'll tell you what happened to me. In 1982, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. In uh, this is just prior to going to the World Cup, and I thought I thought my World Cup uh, dream was has ended. I fortunately got some incredible uh, an incredible surgeon who did a miracle on my Achilles tendon, and I I was sent to Cambridge University, a very famous university in England. Um, and I was I stayed with the physiotherapist and the track coach, and I got to incredible levels of fitness that I have never ever been to. Um, and mentally, I was so strong. Physically, I was in the greatest shape of my life. I was faster. I could jump higher. I could do absolutely everything. I got back into the game. Couldn't stop scoring goals, scoring goals for England, go to the World Cup. And what do I do when I came back from Spain? Did I continue that training regime? No, I didn't. That's the one thing that I wish I could have that time over again. If I could maintain that training regime. If you look at the training regime that Cristiano Ronaldo is is on. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's incredibly fit. I mean, his appetite for work is is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing that I wish I could have done because uh, subsequently you, you get other injuries as you get older as a player. When you get to 30, 31, 32, it's, the game really does, the professional game really does start to catch up with you. Yeah. But I just wish that I kept those training regimes and... Uh, that's my biggest regret in football. That's a great. Hey, thanks, Paul. That's a great message. To, you know, to end on for you know for our players and uh, for the for the parents listening. I mean, yeah. it's um, it's great. You know, you can never relax. There's always like a hey, Steve Miles tells this. I know he tells this to the players he works with that there's always someone wanting to take your place. Oh yeah. So oh you, yeah. Absolutely. You've got to keep working Absolutely. hard and, and you have. it. Yeah. So yeah. listen, Paul. I really appreciate um, all your you know your time today. Thank you it's for been your a advice. Pleasure, it's been that's been, it's been great. Say, say hello to everybody for me. Say hello to Malzi for me, and w- wish the kids all the best. Keep trying. I want to see them playing for the US at some point. That'd be great. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.